Good morning. I had to uh, let Lindsay do the Father's Day recognition this morning because uh, let's just say that last year I got into a bit of trouble with uh, a special someone. After I addressed the dads, I began to mention how most of us um, don't care for the recognition much. You know, we, we're, we like to be more low-key. So rather than celebrating, we prefer to relax. And while sharing that, I might have said something like, so if you leave us alone and don't bother us on a day like this, that'll be perfectly fine. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. It wasn't in my notes. And I didn't realize what I had said until I got into the car with my wife. My wife calmly says, so you want to be left alone? I'm like, no, that's the other dads. I'm just kind of sharing what they feel. No, I didn't say that to her. I had to explain to her that's not what I meant. And you know where Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I had to tell her that doesn't apply in this case. So there was a lot of convincing to be done. But that was not the first time that I put my foot in my mouth. When we were dating, I was probably around 20, and we were debating with some friends. B was there. Um, We were debating whether God only has one person for you to marry, like a soulmate, or if there's a little more freedom in the selection process. I might have said something like, I think I could work and make, make it work with anyone. Brutal. But you see, what she heard is not what I meant. I was, actually, I was actually making a very strong case for an important principle that we find in the Bible. And we're going we're gonna to get back to that argument that I was trying to make. But let me start with this. Research has shown that the average person makes about 70 conscious choices a day. 70. That's 25,000 decisions a year. And in the midst of some of the everyday simple decisions that we make, like what to eat or what to wear, there are some major life decisions that get thrown into the mix. Think about it. And this is more true today than it ever has been before. But people used to enter into arranged marriages before. Now we decide whether we will marry and whom we will marry. Boys used to enter their father's profession, and girls grew up to be homemakers. Now, we must decide what we will do for a career. People used to follow their tribal religion. Now, we must choose what we will believe. And lastly, throughout history, people generally lived and died in the village where they were born. Now, we must choose where to live. All important decisions. But how do we arrive at those decisions? We have so many options to choose from. How do we decide? And here's a bigger question. Does God play a role in those decisions? For instance, does God have your soulmate picked out? I heard a yes. (laughs) We're going to debate that in a minute. All right. Is he waiting for you to ask him which job you should take next? Which, by the way, A researcher noted that today's young adults will hold on average 29 jobs over their lives based on current trends. That's about what? One every two years or so? Stay put, all right? Just (laughs) commit to something. No, I'm just 
Guys, in this room alone, we have people at opposite ends of the spectrum and everything in between in regards to how we make decisions and our view of the role that God plays in those decisions. You have the person that wakes up and says, God, what do you want me to wear today? Maybe that's a bit extreme, right? But quite frankly, there are some of us that can make any decisions, even small decisions, without feeling like we've heard from God. And then there are others of us that have no regard for God in the decision-making process. We make decisions independently of God's input or desire for us. So which view or framework is correct? God deciding for us every step of the way? Or we decide everything? Or is there a middle ground? We can also think about this in the context of story. Is God writing the script and feeding us the lines? That's the person asking what to wear. Or are we completely writing our own script with no regard for God? Or is there some collaboration between us and God? What I hope is that as we continue with this series today, and we dive into this subject that we can arrive at a framework, a biblical framework that will guide us as we live our everyday lives and make important life decisions. Okay, so we're going to be in Acts again. Let's look at the Apostle Paul's approach as he is taking some major next steps in his ministry. We're going to be in chapter 15. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. One of our volunteers will come around, hand you a Bible. And if You don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that one. It's our gift from us to you. Once you have it, if you will, please stand as we read God's Word. The book of Acts, chapter 15. I'm going to read one verse in in chapter 15, and then we're going to jump to um, verse 4 in chapter 16. And it reads, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Verse 4 of chapter 16. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You may be seated. Okay, few questions that I want to tackle today. First, how do we make decisions when we haven't heard from God? Second, what is essential in order to receive God's guidance? And lastly, what are some steps that we can take that will aid us in our decision-making process. So how do we make decisions when we haven't heard from God? What is essential in order to receive God's guidance? And what are some steps that we can take to help us when we make decisions? So let's start. How do we make decisions when we haven't heard from God? The passage that we just read comes right after the council that Pastor Ben uh, talked about last week, which was a great message. Do you remember in that council, they decided who's in? 
Well, who's in? Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, period, are in. They determined that circumcision was not a requirement. You enter into the story of God through faith alone in Christ alone. So right after they shared that amazing news with the church in Antioch, we have verse 36 in chapter 15. We see that Paul is not asking God what he should wear. We don't read that he was in anguish in any way about what he should do next in regards to the ministry. No, we read that Paul very casually turns to his ministry partner Barnabas and he says something along the lines, I think our job here is done. Let's go visit the churches that we started. Let's see how they are doing and share the outcome of the council with them as well. Now, I know what Paul is proposing has a little more significance, but to me, it doesn't sound too different than me saying to you, let's go have super duper for lunch. Sound appealing to anyone? I don't need a word from God to decide to go eat super duper. If I'm hungry, I know it's close and it's good. Done. Decision made. I don't need anything else. Paul is saying, I have an idea. I have an idea that is in line with God's calling upon my life, which is to share the gospel with the Gentiles. I have a plan that fulfills God's desire for his church, which is for it to grow and be strengthened. So let's make it happen. Let's visit the churches and share this good news with them. Guys, we don't read about any prayer or vision or word from God that led Paul to make this suggestion. We see some of, we read about some of the supernatural guidance later on, but not in verse 36. Here's what we see in verse 36. We see that Paul has an idea, he has a plan that is in line with what God has already spoken. It's in line with what God had already spoken to him regarding his life's purpose and the mission for the church. So in our case, there are many times when we don't need a fresh word from God in order to make a decision. He has already spoken. We should make decisions in accordance with what God has spoken and revealed in the Bible. Too often we get bent out of shape trying to figure out what is it that God wants me to do in this specific situation. What is it that God wants me to do next? The phrase that we commonly use in a situation like this is, what is God's will for my life? Right? That's what we say often. What is God's will for my life? Is it his will that I should date Tommy from work or, or Johnny from church? Is it his will that I should take the job in New York or the one in San Francisco? Let me just tell you, the answer is always San Francisco, okay? <laughs> Let's just make that clear. But this is the argument I was trying to make to my wife and our friends many years ago. Listen, you can ask all you want. But I'm not sure that God is going to weigh in on the matter by writing in the sky, Tommy or Johnny. He's already weighed in by giving you parameters in the scriptures. Based on 2 Corinthians 6, God's will is for you to date and marry someone that is headed in the same spiritual direction as you, and that direction should be towards Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, we read that God's will is for you not to have sex before marriage. Yes, even in our modern day and progressive culture, that is still his will. God's will is for regardless of who you marry, for you not to make marriage about you, 
but to humbly submit yourself to serve and love that person. God's will is for you to stay married and faithful to your spouse. So Tommy or Johnny, New York or San Francisco, God's like, you decide. But in whatever you decide, honor the words that I have already spoken. In whatever you decide, honor the words that I have already spoken. Do you know that when the Bible uses the phrase, the will of God, it has nothing to do with God telling you what to decide? Nothing at all. The will of God is not a secret or a next step in my life that God is hiding from me. Look at some of the instances when that phrase is used in the Bible. First, they're going to be on the screen. First Thessalonians 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Here's another one. First Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. First Peter 2.13. Last one. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That's just three examples. The will of God for your life is not something that you have to figure out. These passages that we just read about abstaining from sexual immorality, about being thankful in all circumstances, about submitting to the authorities in our lives. It's all about how God wants us to live. It's all about how God wants us to live. So God's will is not found in knowing the future or having it revealed to us, but in living for him today based on what he has already spoken. But you see, many times we want to know the exact next steps that we ought to take. And I, and I get that. We have fears or doubts about our, our future. We're not 100% sure if God is with us right now in this situation. We're afraid to make the wrong choice. And I get all that. But hear this. Passing off the, the decision-making responsibility to God is not the answer. Passing off that responsibility, God, you make the choice. That's not the answer. That's not the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you. Put it like this. That's not the kind of relationship that I want to have with my kids. I don't want to make all of honor and noble's decisions as they get older. No, my job as a parent is to help them develop a framework so that they can make wise decisions on their own. If I make all of my boys' decisions... Yes, they will be safe, but they will not have matured. They will not have matured. And God wants us all to grow into spiritual maturity. And an aspect of that development process that God is trying to put us through, it requires him not making all of our decisions or giving us everything we want. So guys, hear me say this. God is more concerned about the person that you are becoming than the actual circumstances that you find yourself in. He cares more about Christ being formed in you 
than about you getting your way all the time. He would rather develop you than spoil you. Listen, when I start trying to discern the will of God for my life, I'm guilty of this too, all right? And when I get anxious about my future and I start asking God, what is it that you have for me? That usually comes from a place of dissatisfaction. When there is a deep dissatisfaction within us for a specific situation or a stage of life that we find ourselves in, we look to God or elsewhere for something new or for change. So if we're single and not happy, then we say, God, where is my spouse? Because that will make me happy. When we hate our jobs, we say, God, you must be calling me to something new, right? Come on, bring it. Can I just be honest with you? Whenever I've asked God, could it be, God, that you are calling me back to Florida, right? And I just get this sense like I'm coming home. Those feelings didn't come because I sensed this strong leading from God. No. Those feelings came when I was homesick. When I missed my family and friends. I get like that when things get challenging here and my confidence is low and I begin to ask questions like, am I enough? Am I cut out for this? It's only in those moments that I ask God, what is it that you want me to do with my life? Show me. And God's like, it's right in front of you. It hasn't changed. That doesn't mean it won't change. But in the moment of dissatisfaction is not the time to seek direction. So as we consider major decisions in our life, like who we will marry or where we will live and work, it's important that we make those decisions from a healthy place. One of the keys, I believe, is to be content but not complacent. To be content but not complacent. To be able, like we read earlier, to give thanks in all circumstances, but yet still be open to opportunities that may come up. Think about this. When Paul decided to visit the other churches, it wasn't because he was tired of the church at Antioch. Can you imagine? I'm tired of this church. Let's go do something else. No, 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 no. It was, it was in line already with the general direction that God had set out for his life. To plant churches and to build them up. So, point one. We can make decisions based on what God has already spoken through the Bible. But to our second point, the fact that we have some freedom in the choices that we make does not mean that God refrains from guiding us. God is still able to say no to a decision we intend to make or yes to an option that we haven't even considered. Let's go back to Paul's example. Once Paul begins to make his way through the different cities and churches, we begin to see some cool things happen. We read in verses 6 through 10 that Paul and his team are guided by God in three separate occasions. First, they are forbidden by the Holy Spirit from speaking the word in Asia. Then they are prevented by the Spirit of Jesus from entering Bithynia. And lastly, through a vision that Paul received, they conclude that God wants them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. 
In each of these instances, God is either opening a door or closing a door. When Paul sees a, a, a closed door, he heads in a different direction. When he sees an open door, he walks through it. So here's the thing. Even though Paul had a plan, he didn't close himself off to the continual guidance of God. Even though he had a plan, he kept on listening and being open to the direction and the leading of God. I want you to notice something else. The emphasis in these verses is not the means by which Paul received the guidance. In two out of the three instances, we have no idea how they came to understand that they shouldn't go into these specific regions. It could have been through prayer or purely situational or circumstantial. We don't know. But what we do know is that Paul had a personal and deep relationship with God. Check this out. In these, first, in these four verses, we see the Trinity referenced. I never saw this before until I began to study it. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in verse 6, Jesus in verse 7, and God, which is also used to reference the Father in verse 10. That's not common to see all three mentioned in one setting. But when we do see it, it's an expression of a deep relationship and partnership. Right? We see the three coming together at Jesus' baptism. All three are present. We also see in Matthew 28, when we are told to make disciples of all nations, that we are told to baptize those disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. People are not just baptized in water, but they are baptized into a relationship with the triune God. So an essential aspect of receiving guidance from God is having a relationship with him. An essential aspect of receiving guidance from God is having a relationship with him. Look at this quote from John Orberg. He writes, It's a wonderful gift to be able to ask God for guidance. But it's necessary to talk to God about other things as well, to give him worship, to express gratitude, to seek learning, to draw hope. Guidance is only one part of a full relationship with God. Similar to any friendship, if the only time I communicate with you is to get direction or information that is useful to me, we will not have much of a relationship. It only makes sense for God to give me guidance if I'm in a deeper relationship with him that is forming my character and heart. I will never experience guidance from God if my main goal with God is to get guidance. I'm just going to read that one more time. I will never experience guidance from God if my main goal with God is to get guidance. A full relationship with God will include intimacy, confession, Worship, gratitude, learning, receiving encouragement, and surrender. So, does God guide us on what to do next? Definitely. Yes, he does. But that guidance is more consistent. It's clearer in the context of a relationship with him. So, here are a few things that we can do to build our relationship with God and to seek and receive his guidance. For starters, we can read the Bible. As we mentioned earlier, the Bible is an expression of God's will for our lives. But when you sit down to read it, don't just read it. 
Commit to have your, your behaviors and your decisions shaped by God's desire for you. Number two, pray for wisdom. In the Bible, when people are unsure about what to do, they're not asking God for what decision they should make. But they are asking God for wisdom. And this is key because wisdom is the ability to know and do what's right. Wisdom is the ability to know and do what's right. And the third one, seek the wise counsel of others. When I have a major decision before me, I want to make sure that my motivation is in the right place. I want to make sure it's not coming just from a a deep dissatisfaction. I want to make sure that I'm not forcing my will in a given situation. So I seek the objective advice of people that first and foremost love God and love me. I want to know what they have to say before I make any major decision. So guys, with all of the decisions that we will make in our lifetime, over a 70-year span, it could be more than 1.5 million decisions, if you could imagine. I don't think we want to find ourselves shooting from the hip, making those decisions and choices at random. Young adults, with the 29 jobs that you will have, don't you want to trust that God will lead you to the right ones? Guys, we are collaborators with God in the story that he is writing. By no means do we have the main role, nor are we the primary script writers. But we can live our lives and make decisions based on what he has already spoken And we can trust that he will guide us as we build a deep relationship with him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love towards us. We thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for the life that you have given us, God. And God, we're thankful that you haven't left us alone, but you have given us your word to guide us, to help us live the life that is honoring to you and pleasing to you and beneficial to us. I pray, God, that we will commit to study your word, to learn it, and that we will commit to learn and lean in on you and to build a relationship with you. Not just for the guidance, but to establish what Jesus came to do. A deep and personal relationship between man and God. I pray that you will help us. I pray that you will bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us stand as the band leads us in this song. The song is about the Holy Spirit speaking. I didn't even get a chance to even get into this the fact that God gives us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and show us the way that we ought to go many times. But let's just respond through the song and ask God for us to have the wisdom to be able to make the right decisions, whatever we might be facing at this time.